So we're going to pick it up in Romans chapter 9. In this, as I have said many times, and we'll probably say every time we open to this book, this rich, meaningful, fundamental, foundational book to the Christian faith. Uh, it is not the easiest book to spend time in. As a matter of fact, uh, the section we're in right now in chapters 9 through 11 is arguably the hardest part in this uh, in this challenging book. But I promise you, when you spend time in the book of Romans, uh, you will gain such a sense of the assurance of your salvation if, in fact, you are a believer. Uh, of course, in the end of Romans chapter 8, what did we hear? But nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Well, that's built upon, you know, God's entire plan and purpose of, of foreknowing and calling and predestining and, and ultimately resulting in the glorification um, uh, of, of the believer in this kind of thing. The idea that we can rest in the knowledge we have nothing to fear in regard to our relationship with God because it is all of him. Well, that concept of election and man's responsibility, that was the subject of our last study in Romans as we began to kind of move into the passage we're in today, beginning in verse 6. Uh, so you might grab your Bible uh, if you have it nearby. Hopefully you do. Um, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 9, verse 6. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 6 through 13, and then we'll dive in. I don't know that we'll actually get through all of this today. Probably won't, actually. But let me read it just for the sake of context, starting in verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect or that it's failed. Uh, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall conceive a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So there's some family history here, and that helps us understand something of the context of, of what this discussion is taking place within. Um, the concepts of election and man's responsibility, that again was the subject of our last study at, uh, in Romans uh, chapter 9. So I'll encourage you, if you have not listened to that, to take a minute to study that because, um, and just succinctly I'll try to say, it's important to understand these two concepts and the fact that the scripture teaches both concepts. The idea of, of God's, clearly God's sovereign election, but also clearly the responsibility, legitimate responsibility that man has to respond. Uh, how these two seemingly contradictory ideas uh, really make sense together, how they can work together, I don't know. I really don't. But at the same time, I don't reject what the scriptures say about both of these ideas. Uh, both are very strongly emphasized in scripture. And so therefore, we teach both. In this passage we're in right now, it's going to sound a lot like I'm reformed. I'm not actually, though. Uh, I, I, I just don't have that perspective on it. And I, I'm, I'm just not there. But it will sound as though I am because we're talking about this concept of election. Uh, however, when we get to passages that very clearly speak of man's responsibility, like all the way back in Romans 1, we spent uh, a bit of time talking about that. Um, you know, someone might think I'm f talking like an Arminian or something like that. That's not the case. And so um, I teach both, and I don't hesitate to 
as best as I can to express both views as fully as the scripture does. Um, and because that's what it teaches. And so I just want to be fair to what the word has to say. But let me just once again kind of reel it back in and encourage you once again to listen to that previous post uh, when we were in Romans 9. But here, looking more specifically at Romans uh, 9, starting in verse 6, uh, there is some family history once again here that is in view. And this again gives us a sense of the context in which this discussion moves into now. This discussion does have personal implications through from Romans uh, really 8 through verse 11. But here in Romans 9 through 11, there is a very, very pronounced and clear emphasis on the application of these ideas in regard to the nation of Israel specifically, uh, or most pronouncedly throughout this passage. Uh, again, what we see here is the discussion of Israel and Isaac and Sarah and Rebecca and this kind of thing. So let me kind of give a little bit of the history here of what's involved, and then we'll begin to spend a little time talking about this passage uh, a little more directly. But uh, the promise uh, and the nation, I should say, let me start with this. The nation of Israel has its origins in Abraham. He is called in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, in uh, previous verses just prior to that, we see his family tree. He is uh, through the line of Eber, which is often seen as where the word Hebrew maybe has its roots from. But in any case, the idea that Abraham becomes the one that God calls out of the earth of the Chaldees, uh, as Chuck Missler used to always say, uh, Abraham, before he was called of God, was an idol-worshiping Gentile. Uh, he was not somebody who was a Jew because they didn't exist until Abraham. And so by definition, there was no chosen people of God at that point until Abraham is called. And so Abraham is called and the promises are given. Promises that have to do, that pertain with not only the person of Abraham or his offspring, physically, humanly speaking, but also deal with the land that he would get. Uh, the land uh, is mentioned both in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Uh, God makes in Genesis chapter 15 what is known as a unilateral covenant with Abraham, which essentially, that's a big word that basically means that God made a covenant with Abraham that was fully dependent, not at all on Abraham, but completely upon God himself. Uh, in other words, Abraham and his descendants, and God knew this because he spoke about it throughout the Old Testament, um, but God knew that Abraham's descendants were going to be unfaithful. They were going to worship idols from time to time. He was going to have to send them into captivity. All of these things were going to be true of Israel. But from the very outset, it was important that God make sure Abraham understand. And frankly, Christians, we need to understand this too, because it helps us not have a, a misunderstanding about God's relationship with Israel that his relationship with them is not contingent upon their faithfulness. It is contingent upon his faithfulness. This is the whole subject behind the story in Hosea and all of that kind of stuff when we read the prophecy of Hosea and Gomer and all of this. And really, not just that, but throughout the entire Old Testament into the New Testament and ultimately into the Millennial Kingdom at the end of the New Testament. So when we don't understand that, we have very, very divergent views on, on what God is doing, both with the nation of Israel, who even is the nation of Israel today, um, the promises that were given to Israel, and the ultimate fulfilling of those promises with Israel at the center of it uh, predominantly. And so that being said, we have Abraham. But Abraham had a son, a son named Isaac. As a matter of fact, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. The promise did not go through Ishmael, but the promise went through Isaac. 
As a matter of fact, after um, uh, Isaac, uh, I should say Isaac then had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and the promise didn't go through Esau. The promise was to Jacob. And so this is what is in view immediately here in the passage. Again, let me read it now with all that history. Let me reread it. But it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all the children because they are of the seed of Abraham. Okay, now who are the seed of Abraham? Isaac and Ishmael. Does that mean that Ishmael is part of the promise? Nationally speaking, no. Now this again is where it's important for us to recognize that there are two uh, there are two ideas at play here. One speaks nationally, the other speaks personally or individually. Uh, for example, we can make this statement that here in, in chapters, uh, or verses 6 and 7, and really through verse 13 here, there is in view nationally the idea of Israel, the chosen people of God. Even though Israel had a brother, it wasn't ultimately through uh, Esau. It was through Jacob, Israel. Uh, Even though uh, Abraham's seed were were Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael was not the inheritor of the promise, nationally speaking, but rather instead Isaac was. Now, Ishmael was treated kindly by Abraham, even though Abraham's uh, wife uh, did not want him around and that kind of thing, but Abraham treated them kindly. And so there is a connection to Abraham. Of course, we see this the extension of that, the expression of that ultimately becomes uh, the Islamic nations in that. This, of course, is why there is such conflict between uh, between the Jews and the Arabs in that, uh, because there is a family history that goes back to Abraham, and even ultimately then through Isaac and then through Jacob and, and their brothers and that kind of thing. That's That's the core understanding of the entire Middle Eastern problem that remains to this day. But the promises here, according to Paul, is that it is through the nation that was born of Abraham, through Isaac, and then ultimately through Jacob, who becomes known as Israel. God breaks Jacob in their in their wrestling out there in the in the wilderness, and he breaks Jacob and changes his name from heel catcher, conniver, liar, Jacob, to Israel, governed of God. And so this is the line that the promise ultimately comes through. And then, of course, we see that through the various priests and kings and such that follow in the generations to come. And so the promise to Israel nationally is one that God establishes with Abraham and reiterates through Isaac and then through Jacob or Israel. Now, we can say this pertains nationally, but we also can understand that uh, and need to understand that there's also a personal implication to these things. Uh, For example, in in chapter um, uh, 10, verse 13, uh, Paul mentions that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when we're talking about this idea of election, we need to understand that there is both the personal side of it, but there's also a context that deals nationally. And that's what's in view first here in the passage that we're looking at here. Not all children of Abraham are in fact uh, of Abraham because Ishmael was. But he's not the inheritor of the promise. It was Isaac and that kind of thing. However, there is also now this additional element that it is those who are the um, the believers in the promise who ultimately are considered children of Abraham as well. And so now this is why I can tell we're not going to get through all this today because now I'm going to just take a minute to kind of round this picture out and then we'll call it a day for for this for this study. But those who are uh, those who believe the promise. What promise? 
ultimately that Messiah would come through the line of Abraham, that, uh, that, that those who believe like Abraham and that their faith is counted to them for righteousness. Uh, we saw this earlier in Romans 4 and places like that. Those who believe the promise and who by faith now are seen as righteous by God, again, by faith, uh, not by works or any of that kind of thing. And so those are also now considered children of Abraham. Now, as we make our way through Romans 9 through 11, we're eventually going to come in Romans 11 to this concept of how the Gentiles or those outside of the promises, those non-Hebrews, how do they come to faith? Well, they or how do they become children of Abraham, as, to, to use the language here in, in, this, in this section? They come by faith. And so even though someone might be of the family of Ishmael, they can come by faith. Even though someone is a total Gentile like um, uh, from any nation, they come by faith. We see this in places like Isaiah um, you know, 53, 4, and 5, or I'm sorry, uh, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Isaiah 55, 56, and 57, where there is this kind of reiterating of this love for the Gentiles that God has. Let them come and attach themselves to the Lord. Let not the foreigner say that he has no place in this kind of thing. And so we see that God, uh, matter of fact, even Jesus in his own uh, ministry speaks of sheep that are not of this fold and that kind of idea, hinting likely at the idea that he's talking about Gentiles, those who are uh, not of the promises in that. Of course, when we understand God's love for the Gentile, it helps us understand things like John 4, when Jesus goes and needs to go through Samaria. No Jew needed to go through Samaria. Every Jew avoided going through Samaria. But Jesus needed to go because there was a woman there who needed to get saved and her whole town uh, when she went and shared the news and brought them out to him. And so there is this love for Jew and Gentile. Matter of fact, even in John chapter 1, he came to his own, but his own rejected him. But to those who accepted him or received him, he, he gave the right to become, God gave the right to become children of God. Uh, and so, you know, not those who were born of the flesh or the will of man and that kind of thing, but rather of God. And so it has always been by faith. And that is how we come, whether we are of Abraham or, uh, you know, nationally Hebrews or whether we are Gentiles. It's always been by faith and it always will be by faith. But those of us who are not Hebrews can be grafted into the vine by faith. And so now that begins to touch on the individual elements of the question of election and all that kind of thing and, and human responsibility. So that, again, sort of maybe continues to lay a little bit of groundwork uh, based on what we started last time a week or so ago when we were last in Romans. But let me um, let me uh, just kind of bring an, uh, sort of a, another, uh, maybe a, a, a period or exclamation point to this idea of God's promises to Israel. We don't understand Romans 9 through 11 if we sort of believe the idea that that the church has supplanted Israel. Now, the church for a period of time right now, the church age, uh, is the vessel through which God is reaching the world. Um, Israel, by and large, in unbelief, is not believing the gospel, so they are not sharing the gospel. Uh, but rather, the gospel needs to be shared with them like it does with anyone else. But for the time being, the church is the instrument that God is using. But there will come a time, Paul will say in Romans 11, uh, there will come a point when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And at that point, the church will be removed. Uh, that is likely what he, in my view, what I believe he's talking about there is in direct connection with things like 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Um, uh, you know, an event uh, that we call the rapture, the idea of the snatching away of the bride 
going to be with her bridegroom, meeting him in the air. And then once that happens, God once again begins to work through Israel, which is what we see. And in, in again, uh, Revelation chapters 6 through really the rest of the book. Uh, but certainly up, up through that period of time, uh, this time of Jacob's trouble, this time of tribulation, this time leading into a time of great tribulation where the Antichrist is on the scene and all of that, that leads ultimately to the return of Christ in chapter 19 of Revelation. Um, if we think that the church has replaced Israel, then we have a wildly divergent idea of what the book of Revelation is about um, and really so much of end times eschatology is about. I think we misread Matthew 24 uh, when we sort of insert the church in there and those kinds of ideas, again, these are these are issues of debate and that kind of thing among different uh, folks that study eschatology and that. But but I would I would put forth the premise that if we have a misunderstanding of God's present current relationship with Israel and His using them once again after the church age is over, then I think we tend to view all these passages very very differently. So that has to do with eschatology. But even when it comes to questions like election and responsibility of man and these kinds of things. These have uh, these ideas intersect and, and are integrated as we make our way through these passages. So um, again, we didn't get very far, did we? I think we basically got into, you know, kind of covered the passage a little bit here, but we'll touch on it again a little further and then make our way further through the passage next time we're in the book of Romans. But let me encourage you to read um, you know, I call it giving you homework necessarily, but if I can encourage you to read uh, Romans chapters really 8 through 11, we've studied chapter 8 already and, and, and been through that, so if you want to go back and maybe watch those, but read it at least. Um, for sure, Romans 9 through 11, but I like to say read Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. And uh, and that will, you know, as, as you do that, it will help us um, familiarize ourselves with the passage and hopefully maybe even take a little bit of the edge off of the concerns and fears that sometimes grow out of these passages um, through misunderstanding and or or that kind of thing. We want to try and bring as much clarity and illumination to this uh, led by the Holy Spirit and, and just a good study of these passages that we can because we want to Man, we just want to know this book. This is such a good book to be in. And so, um, all right. Well, that being said, I think I'll stop there and just sort of call it going through verse six and seven, really. And then we'll jump into this again next time we're in Romans. So thanks for watching and listening and joining. If you have questions or thoughts or anything that you want to share, you're welcome to do that in our comments section. Uh, you also can uh, watch and listen to these uh, videos um, uh, on my uh own personal website at parsonspad.com. Uh, from there, if you choose to, you can also just subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcast uh, outlet. Uh, we're on iTunes and those kinds of things. We actually also recently have started kind of putting the videos up on Rumble. Uh, we also uh, are, are reaching out through Telegram. Uh, you can find links to all of these uh, in the notes section below on the YouTube channel and also um, on my website. And then also, uh, in, um, if you're listening to the audio and you're going there, you'll likely see in the notes for each episode, the links there as well. So, uh, join any, on any of those outlets that you like. Uh, it may be one day that we don't have access to YouTube anymore. You know, who knows how algorithms will one day judge what we have to say. 
And uh, we may have to use other mediums uh, of communication. So that's why I'm starting to branch out into some of these so that our, our church's outreach can continue to uh, to reach out to you all. So thanks for watching and listening. And Father, we do pray that we would um, really just pour ourselves into this pursuit of you through the study of your word. We uh, pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit, Lord, that he would just have the freedom to move in our hearts and minds, to bring to light a deeper understanding of what your word has to say, not in some flaky, sort of, you know, touchy-feely feeling kind of thing, but through the good, sincere, uh, hard work of studying your word. Father, we just want to dive into it and understand it and piece together scripture with scripture, and we need your Holy Spirit in this pursuit, otherwise it can be we can end up just following our own devices. And so, Father, help us in this regard. We thank you that Jesus did say the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. And so uh, we pray that as we study, as we consider, uh, Lord, that we would know these things. And ultimately, at the end of it all, we want to know the Word of God, that we might know the God of the Word all the better. We thank you that Jesus really does shine through on every page. Truly, he was not kidding when he said that the Scriptures speak of him. So help us to um, always find ourselves drawn to him, uh, if we have sort of begun to to sort of lose that sense of him being at the heart of it all, that Lord, you would draw us back to that 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 so important uh, understanding. And Father, we do pray that Lord, you would work in our hearts and in our minds, helping us to grow in our depth of understanding, and in doing so, uh, grow in our depth of love and 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 just desire to know you better. So, Father, we praise you and bless you for giving us this word, uh, giving us the scriptures and giving us hearts to know you better through them. So we love you and praise you for this, Father. And we do ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.